Welcome to the Owning Your Sexual Self podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Main, awesome wife and dog mom for life. I'm a sex therapist turned sex coach, and I run a successful business selling relationship enhancement products. I absolutely love talking about all things sex. So you can expect this podcast to explore all things related to women's sexual health because that's what I'm here for. I'm here to help you discover and embrace what brings you pleasure so that you can own your sexual self. If that sounds good to you, then keep listening and let's fucking do this. All right. So thanks Renee for coming on the Owning Your Sexual Self podcast. I'm super excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, for sure. I was just, when you popped on, I'm just thinking like, gosh, it feels so long ago that we went through you, U of M together in the sex therapy school. And I remember you being the pretty much the only one in our cohort that was working with sex amongst older adults. And I remember sitting through our SAR and everybody when we had to watch that pretty much porno of people, older people having sex. And I know a lot of feelings came up for people around that. And I just imagine that you were sitting there like, yep, this is just a normal Tuesday for me. Like, I was like, Yay! <laughs> That's so good. So good. So um yeah, so Renee, tell us so you work primarily with older adults, but you have um a background in internal medicine and you're doing so many things. You're ASEC certified now. It's I'm so excited to hear kind of what's happened ever since our program. So tell us um what what type of work are you doing now? Yeah, so I'm definitely incorporating more sexual health for our learners, including medical students, residents, and fellows. You know, medical schools in general don't have a lot of medical education for sexual health. And in fact, I was talking to a student yesterday, and he was saying that he just feels he lacks the educational experience to be able to comfortably talk to um, any patient, really, about um, sex. And so I'm really trying to spread um, sex positive and sex education on our campus. Mm -hmm. And so even after our University of Michigan program, I went to Budapest and did one of their programs in uh, the European uh, School for Sexual Medicine just to have an extra layer of sexual health because it can be quite complex Mm -hmm. um, and every individual is different. And so, you know, I've just been really focusing on incorporating it on a day-to-day and really trying to normalize sexual health and sexual as a normal um, part of age, uh, not even a normal part of aging, but just a normal part of life. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think so often you hear and <clears throat> you hear from people and primarily women, that's our primary focus or my primary focus. Um, but you hear, you know, oh, I'm too old for that or they're too old for that. Oh, my parents aren't having sex. Well, my grandparents definitely aren't having sex. And then you often wonder why there's such a high STI rate in nursing homes and <laughs> things like that. So um, I'm, yeah, I'm super excited to hear. So we're talking primarily about sex after menopause today. So that can, when I was asking you, like, what age is that, that, you know, in your words, like that can that can happen really as early as, as 40, it sounds like. And whether you're experiencing at 40 or 60, what comes after that is going to be very similar. For sure. You know, I have um, my sister-in-law, um, who's a few years older than me, um, in her early 40s, um, is has been experiencing um, problems with menopause since her early 30s. I think she went into menopause actually in her late 30s. And she has a lot of very similar symptoms um, and symptomatology than my 70 and 80 year olds that are coming and asking for the same advice. And so, you know, this is a spectrum across the lifespan and definitely there are things that our older adults can do to have a more pleasurable sex life. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I'm very excited to talk with you about those things today. Mm -hmm. So in your practice, what are primarily people coming in to see you for? So a lot of them, because they're older adults, have either transitioned to a new relationship and are exploring how to enter that that sexual relationship. Um, For instance, you know, I have a lot of patients that come in and are widowed for a really long time and maybe moved in or transitioned into a skilled nursing facility or an assisted living where they now have new opportunities to explore romance. And so a lot of them, if they haven't had sex for a long time, are now worried or concerned about what that first experience is going to be and, of course, afraid of pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And would you say that pain is still a relevant thing that people are experiencing even in the older generation? Definitely, because people are not taking advantage of moisturizing and stretching and lubrication and don't know that this is something that you should do just like a bath every day. You know, you need to take care of your skin on the outside and on the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned that. So moisturize, stretch, and lubricate. Can you tell us just in a nutshell what exactly that means for somebody that's listening right now? So for sure. So moisturizing, the way I think about moisturizing, moisturizing is for me. Um, it is to help the lubrication um, and kind of the normal normal biome of the body. Um, and really, you should be moisturizing about two to three times a week. Um, and lubricating is when you want that extra wetness, when you're either um, having some foreplay, masturbation, involving um, entrance of, um, potentially entrance of uh, something, a toy or a <laughs> penis, um, to help um, with that insertion of, of that device or that that object. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So moisturizing is just for the everyday maintenance of the vagina. Perfect. And then the, the stretching that would come in if they're then using something for insertion. Is that where that stretching comes in or would you recommend something else? No. So stretching can be um, part of the moisturizing, kind of taking care of the vagina. And again, taking care of the inside of the vagina is just as important as taking care of the outside. And most people don't realize that. And so doing the stretching can really help with um, maintenance of the vaginal walls, especially if you are starting to have intercourse again, if you haven't had intercourse in a while, maybe your partners have changed or uh, uh, unfortunately, if you're, you're a widow and now you're exploring new romance, definitely um, stretching will help prepare you for a more enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in talking, I know this has come up on another podcast that I've had an interview with a pelvic floor physical therapist with Amanda Fisher, and she highly recommends um, this instrument, I'll call it, um, from Intimate Rose, and it's called a pelvic wand. And so I have been really talking that up for people specifically related to this topic when they're experiencing pain with any sort of penetration to engage more, as you said, like on that daily moisturization. So for me personally, now since hearing that, um, I keep a water-based lubricant literally in my shower, and it's the last step of my shower routine now. Um, And the days that I'm washing my hair are the days that I'm doing my Kegel exercises when I'm in there, and other days it's just literally inserting lubrication to have that moisturization throughout the day. And then for somebody that's experiencing pain, they're looking to incorporate this stretching using something like a pelvic wand can be so beneficial because it helps just stretch that tissue. So not even inserting it fully into the vagina, but, you know, quote unquote, just the tip and then rotating around in that 
clockwise or counterclockwise motion can help really um, stretch, which is basically what Renee is, is saying right now, or if you even have dilator sets, you know, starting to work your way up. And good. Okay. So still pain is still a thing. That's something that, it, I mean, I just feel like pain is so common, but it doesn't have to be normal. And that's something that's often talked about around here. So with patients specifically that are in the older generation, do you notice any differences when it comes to when it comes to their pain that they're having within sex? So I think it depends on the person. I think if somebody's had uh, problems with pain their whole life, um, I think that's a little bit more difficult and they may need to have like a multi-complex intervention such as a therapist, a counselor, and an OBGYN to kind of address it from a long stand standpoint because it's been going on for a long time. If it's something relatively new, um, I definitely agree with you. I think dilators um, are really important. I know Pure Romance has a great um, mm. line of high-quality dilators, and I think that's key, high-quality um, because, you know, there there are some that you may not want to spend as much money on, but you're higher risk for the materials causing infection. So you want to make sure that you're getting higher quality dilators mm. and they come in all different sizes. You know, the smallest size is the size of, you know, a pencil. And so if you're having trouble using that dilator, I would definitely recommend um, seeing a pelvic therapist to kind of guide you through uh, when you're able to advance and can give you relaxation techniques, breathing techniques to help you move through those stages um, to get you ready for your sexual experience with a, another individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great recommendation. And so aside from pain, the the people that you're working with, what are what are other common things that you see in terms of issues that they're facing with or, or maybe even coming to see you for? Um, yes. Uh, um, relationship discrepancy is huge. Mm. And so, you know, I've had both ends of the spectrum where a woman's coming in and she wants to have more sex. And unfortunately, um, her partner is having erectile dysfunction, which um, in most of the cases that I've seen are not um, treatable without surgery. And so trying to explore new means of reaching intimacy and connecting with the partner um, and, um, the other side of the spectrum is that the women, the woman doesn't want to have sex and how is she able to open up that communication with her partner when her partner does have, um, a, um, working penis or does not have problems with erectile dysfunction and wants to have sex and continues to have a sex drive and trying again to, um, open up that communication on a lot of relationships, especially in older adults is having that communication. And really one of the most important things is communication because things are changing and things have changed. And so, you know, it's not going to be um, sex like in the twenties or thirties mm -hmm. where it's going to be spontaneous. Sometimes if you live with other people, it has to be planned. If you live in a facility, it has to be planned. Um, and planning is going to be part of the norm. And so trying to, um, establish new norms and a different situation um, can sometimes be really hard for older adults because they're um, all of a sudden grieving um, mm -hmm. the um, lack of having that um, um, younger sex that they remember. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I know it's just such a different lens to look at it, you know, and it's so, it's so funny. I'm thinking, you know, in the work that I'm doing primarily with people in their, you know, let's say twenties to fifties usually. And I bring up the topic of, of scheduling sex or planning sex and how to make this a, you know, a sexy thing and something that you, you know, you plan it to look forward to it. You don't plan it because it's a chore an obligation, you know? Um, and so it's then it's, I get pushed back from there, but then when it's looking at it from your line of work, it's like, it's planning or it's not happening essentially. So it, it's almost like, I want to tell my people that are in the younger generation listening right now, like, get used to planning because this is, this is what it might come to when, when it, you know, quote unquote comes to the end of, of your sex life. So. No, for sure. And kind of setting up a new starting point. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's hard for older adults. You know, one of the couples that I'm thinking about, um, they've been married 60 years and um, the husband, unfortunately, was really sick for a few years. And now they're like, oh, well, we haven't had sex for two years, but our sex life was great before. So how can we talk about getting or like reclaiming your desire and reclaiming the sex life that they want. Mm -hmm. And so trying to find that the new normalization and planning. And it's funny because, you know, relationships um, don't change. I actually recommended um, the five love languages because he still was like, um, wants to come in and have sex and, you know, go in there, get it done for the pleasure and go out the door and she's like, Hey, I want some romance and bring me some flowers. Tell me some nice things. And so, you know, you asked one of the common things is, is relationships and, and coming to an agreement, even after 60 years about mm-hmm. what sex and romance means in a relationship. Yeah. I love that. I, I love how you use the word reclaiming and I love how it, you're, yeah, you're grieving what may have happened in the past, but then looking forward to creating what can be possible for the future And yeah, I I believe that our desires change and our bodies change and there's so much that we have to adjust through just to throughout our entire life. So when you're able to, you know, navigate that with your partner in a healthy way, that can, that can be beneficial for both people that are involved. And then, you know, having people like you to go to and talk through these things and, um, yeah, figure out what's, what can work for them. I think that's such an awesome thing. For sure. And I think, you know, one of the biggest thing is that, you know, there are all these types of advertisements for men and erectile dysfunction. And I think women are kind of left to figure it out. Um, and unless they're really established with their OBGYN or have a very comfortable relationship with their gynecologist, they may not feel um, comfortable talking about the pleasure aspect of sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is that something that you would help them do as well as to help navigate that conversation? Or are you the person that they're having that conversation with? I'm usually the person that they're having that conversation. I think that's one of the benefits of being a physician and having the extra training for sexual health is that I'm able to kind of act as the counselor and um, have those difficult conversations about sex and they become very comfortable mm-hmm. and I can um, look at them physically as a clinician and, and see what we can do to help um, mitigate some of those um, barriers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and know the types of questions to ask to open up that door to that sexual health, mm-hmm. you know, questioning and communication. I think that's, that's one of our, I think all of our biggest takeaways. And when we went to that program so many years ago, it feels like forever ago at this point. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, that's that. I love that because you think about most doctors or even most therapists, you bring up the topic of sex or they might even ask you about sex and then you answer, you go into this big long thing and they're like, well, okay, I'd, I'd either, I don't know what to do. They get nervous or they refer out and then you're like, well, I just spent all this time and now you feel almost like this sense of being let down and, and then that makes it even more difficult to reach out to somebody and have that conversation with. So. I definitely think that's a barrier. And then, you know, a lot of, like I mentioned earlier today, you know, um, medical students and the medical community does not have the education to have these comfortable conversations about sexual health. And I've been very lucky that my, um, my clinic has an intake form that says, you know, it just has two questions in there. Are you having any problems with sex? Yes or no? Would you like to talk to somebody? Yes or no? And, you know, the primary care doctor will, if they say yes, they say, okay, I'm going to send you to Dr. Flores and they end up on my list. And so, you know, if they feel uncomfortable about addressing it, there it is. Like they just Mm -hmm. have to ask the question and they have someone to send it to. And I think that's also probably part of the problem is like, what are they going to do with the information when they have it? Are they able to help them and send them to somebody that can actually help? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So what else, what else comes up in your day to day? I, well, one thing I'll ask, is there ever times where you have to have these conversations with your patients and their children? So likely their adult children might be present. Has that ever come up for you? Um, it hasn't come up where the children have been there. Um, Actually, now I take it back. I do have one patient that the it was a son and the older adult. He was in his 80s, um, and they 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 both spoke or the um, primary language that the dad spoke was Arabic, mm-hmm. and so the son's like, um, I don't really know how to ask you this, but my dad's been asking about something so that he can have sex. And he was saying, you know, I feel really uncomfortable. He's trying to tell me this stuff. He really wants me to help him. And I can't think about my parents having sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, parent, you know, the children don't want to think about their parents having sex, even though it's a normal part of life. Um, and so I was definitely able to help the um, patient with the son um, being able to communicate that and actually the relationship between the son um, and the patient. Um, but oftentimes I do have other um, patients that come in and they talk about their um, children not wanting them to have sex at all or they keep the relationship hidden or um, the person will stay the night and leave before the mm-hmm. family will, you know, before the children come back mm-hmm. or the children are visiting or something. So those relationships are very hush-hush and they don't want the family to get involved because they they honestly don't want to hear the opinion of the children. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And do you have any um, opinion around a certain age that sex should stop for somebody? Absolutely not. Um, I feel like sex is, even if you are in a palliative condition or even at the end of life, I think sex is very important. Um, for those people as well. And I've had older adults that have been on hospice that want to talk about how to engage in sex even at the end of life. And at those, at that time, you know, different pillows, different positions, um, you know, scheduling again, you know, is coming up again. 
scheduling it if they are dealing with, let's say, cancer or something where they are fatigued at the end of the day, scheduling sex at the beginning of the day where they have more energy or scheduling sex when other family members are out of the house if there's other people living there or having that uh, coordinating that communication about them, you know, having mm-hmm. some private time. And so I've definitely helped uh, patients at the end of life have um quality sex um, and sexual experiences even at the end of life. And so even at the, on uh, lack of better words, on a deathbed, people still want to have sex. And I definitely strongly encourage it. Yeah. And because we know all of the benefits of sex and we know the benefits of orgasm and, and whether that's with yourself or with a partner, I can, I am same page as you. I want people to have sex until they're a hundred or 150. I, I don't care the age. And I, it just hurts my heart so much when I hear from people say things like I'm, I'm too old for that, or that just doesn't happen anymore. You know, it's like, there's, if you want to make change you know now you know Renee like there are people out here that are here to help people that have that are postmenopausal or that are in the older age generation that are wanting to still have an active sex life and we'll be the first to tell you maybe the first to tell you that there are definitely older people out there still having sex <laughs> um, and a lot yeah. of it so it's there's no shame in there's no shame in the game when it comes to your age yeah, and I, I think one of the things I want to add is that, you know, I, we, we're talking about sex, but I want to talk about intimacy a little bit, too, and saying, like, there's a connection between even hold hand-holding or laying next to each other, and so it doesn't have to be what we typically think about sex as penetration, um, the simple, um, you know, caress of, of a hand or hugging, embracing releases so many endorphins that um, can show similar benefits than actual orgasm or sex itself. So, you know, trying to find those new new normals or con- uh, continuing the connections with another person um, definitely have great benefits as well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, anything in closing that we didn't touch on today that you definitely feel like is worthy for people that are wanting information about having sex at an older age? I definitely feel that if you are open to the communication that you should definitely talk to um, your physician about it. If they feel uncomfortable with sex, find somebody that um, does feel comfortable and you can always reach out to me, send me an email, um, and I can help you find a physician that would be more comfortable. We have um, the ASEC website has people that you can actually go on their web- website and find other people um, within your community that are more comfortable talking about sex. So not to give up, you know, unfortunately, right now, um, the medical system needs some work on improvement of sexual communication for physicians and So don't give up if it's something that's really important to you. um, Reopening that door, I think, is worth it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And if you can even, I I love the ASAC website. I I think that's a great resource for people to go to to find either that sex educator or counselor or therapist. And from there, you know, find somebody that's local to you because likely they will, they will know somebody that they, you know, often refer to if it's something for pelvic floor PT or urology or something like that, um, or OBGYN even. So that's, yeah, I'll definitely link that in the show notes for people to find. And then um, your email, do you mind saying that if somebody did want to reach out to you directly? Sure. It's uh, Renee, R-E-N-E-E 
j.flores, F-L-O-R-E-S, at U-T-H dot T-M-C dot E-D-U. Perfect. And we will also link that so it's easy for them to copy and paste and get in touch with you. Yes, it's a long one. (laughs) (laughs) That is totally good. Well, thank you so much, Renee. This has been so helpful. Um, I appreciate you just, again, opening the door and normalizing for everybody that's listening today that the fact that people are, are, it's normal for us to have sex at no matter what age we are and that there are definitely people and things to be able to do to make sure that that still happens for you if that's something that you want to be present throughout your life. Yes, definitely. Awesome. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a thing. And if you loved it so fucking much, be sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see you next week. And until then, keep owning your sexual self.